Hello, hello. What's up, guys? How's, how's your day going? Not bad. Perfect. Perfect. I got my uh, hardest worker, the rock shirt on. So nice. I'm ready to go. Love it. Awesome. So before we dive right in, I just, uh, for everyone listening, welcome to the very first episode of the new series called Business in the COVID-19 Era. Uh, so I just want to make a brief introduction before we get started and sort of outline the agenda for today. So my name is Taylor. I'm an account manager at Design Shop, and I have with me Cynthia, our marketing coordinator, and Joe, the president and CEO of Design Shop. So we're a graphic web and uh, digital marketing agency located in Montreal. Uh, so on today's agenda, we're going to kind of have a discussion about how business has shifted in 2020 in ways that many of us did not see coming. Uh, so please feel free to add any questions or comments uh, as you as you think of them, and we will make sure to address them in a uh, during the discussion period later on in the uh, in the episode. So uh, without further ado, I will have Joe take the stage and get started. Sure, thanks, Taylor. So just before sort of I, I, I roll into what I wanted to talk about today, before I had done some podcasts or our videos um, when COVID-19 just started and they got a lot of exposure. There was a lot of interest in it. And then all of a sudden I stopped doing them because we were just too busy and, and I couldn't get to them. And I wanted to bring that back, but in a different type of, of um, format, you know, having Taylor and Chintzy here, you know, I think they have a lot of great insight and, and knowledge and marketing and things that are going on. And I just wanted to give my perspective and my point of view from what I see is happening now. At our agency, we have clients of all kinds. We have retail, restaurants, and then we have B2B and multi-billion dollar companies. So I wanted to give you guys some insight on what I'm seeing, the struggles that I'm seeing, and then like what, what potentially can you guys do to help your businesses or start your businesses in this COVID-19 situation. So um, I wanted to start today with talking about business pivoting. And what exactly that means. Now, I, I I wrap my head around this concept because I hear everybody saying now, like uh, I said, Gary Vaynerchuk saying it. Everyone's like, you got to pivot. You got to move. You got to move. You got to move. But the reality is, is that when you're stressed and you're not making money and you're panicking and shit hitting the fan and people are calling you for rent and you can't pay your bills, it's very hard to be like, oh, I'm going to just pivot my business. Like it's such an easy word to throw around, but nobody knows where to start with this thing. Um <clears throat> And so today what I wanted to do is hopefully give you guys some tips on what you can do to pivot, but break it down in a way that you can digest. I've been in positions in my business where you're in this stressed out panic state. And when you're in that state, nothing, you, can't con you can't conceive anything. It's survival day by day. So one thing that I've taught myself over time and learned is that you got to take small incremental steps with a bigger picture in mind. So for example, um, let's say for, this is, has nothing to do with business, but like the other day I walked to my garage and it was like, it was, it was a shit show. Like it was shit everywhere. I was like, how the hell am I going to clean this thing? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start in this corner, not worry about the rest. And eventually I'll get to it. And then, you know, a couple hours later, the garage was clean, but I focused on a small goal. So what does that mean? The first things first is when we're talking about a business pivot, specifically in this COVID-19 situation is that you have to understand where you're going. So I'll, I'll use a retail store, for example. Let's say you're down 30% sales, 40% sales, 50% sales. So your pivot means that you need to get that 50% back. I'm assuming. I'm assuming the focus is not huge growth. The focus is probably just to be where you were prior to, let's say, March. Okay. So if you need to get 50% more sales, then you need to take another step back. So now you know, okay, well, this is how much money I need to make. Perfect. The next thing that you need to focus on is we're, we're, we took a step back. We know how much we need to make. Do I have the capacity to do that? So if you're busy 24-7, but you can only have five people in, in your store at a time, it's you don't have the capacity to do it. Okay, So you have to figure out what can you do to get to that 50%. 
extra in sales. But what does that mean then? What does it mean? How do you get 50% sales? So there's a couple things. One, new clients. New clients will get you 50% more sales, right? Sure. Increasing your average value per client. Now, I don't care if you're a gym. I don't care if you're a restaurant. I don't care if you're retail. I don't care if you're a big company. When I say increase the average value of a customer, that doesn't automatically mean increase your prices. Okay. That's what an accountant says. Accountant looks, oh, well, you know, you're 20% down. You should increase it 20%. Like it's such an easy formula. But those of you that are in business and no business, you can't just jack prices up on people. There's going to be a, a, an outcome where people are going to get pissed and they're going to buzz off. So we have, you guys have to decide, well, how do I increase my average order value? So this is a random example. It's not something that is, is even maybe a, a feasible objective. But let's say, for example, you're at a smaller capacity in a restaurant. Okay. And the average person gets their three courses and a dessert. Perfect. Well, what happens if you guys also have to-go dessert options? And the waitress now goes to the table. I think, I think Taylor, you were a waitress at one point too. I, I don't know if this yeah. is a difficult upsell, but I'm assuming a lot of times people eat the dessert and they're like, oh my God, the dessert was so good. So you can imagine now, like, I, I don't know, Taylor, like if you would say, hey, you know, we also have this to-go. It's a, a good lot way yeah, like I'm sure a lot yeah. of people would go for it. Take it for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. Or for the kids, right? Like yeah. I, I have two kids, you know, like you, sometimes you go on a date and you're like, ah, you feel bad because you didn't bring them, but then you also want to have a peaceful dinner. So you get to bring them dessert home, you know? But yeah. what I'm trying to get at is that you took my bill and now you upped it 10 or 15%. Okay. So I've increased my average order value without increasing my prices. Okay, so that's an example of how to leverage a current client base, right? It's the same thing where certain uh, restaurants right now are doing a lot of take home stuff where they were staying away from it before or shying away from it before. It's finding a way to increase that capacity and diversify your business. One of the biggest, biggest, biggest problems that happened because of COVID-19 is that there was way too many companies out there that got very, very comfortable in the way they did things. And even though they thought they were diversified, they weren't, you know? And I don't wanna, I don't wanna sit on hours here saying, oh, I called it and they're like, I didn't call any of it. I, I, but I mean, Taylor, you, you, you know, you work with Design Shop for a while now. How many people are, have told us in the past, like, oh, I don't believe in a website or I don't believe in marketing or I don't, and the only reason somebody would say that is because they're doing very good and they've grown their business organically, which is yeah. nothing wrong with it. There's, it's great that it happened. The problem is, is a situation happened and they had absolutely no idea what to do in response to it. Okay. So an, another example, I'm going to give you actually an example of a company that I know. They essentially uh, were a printing company. And when COVID-19 hit, I shit you not, within two days, they were offering face visors. Smart. Within two days. They realized, oh boy, printing business cards, printing flyers, pamphlets, stuff for trade shows is going to be on the decline like crazy. So we need to pivot immediately and leverage the current client base we have for a new service offering. So it, it's not necessarily about reinventing the wheel, but it's about taking a step back and saying, what can I do in my business to move forward? Here's something that I call it like the scramble pivot, which is not really well thought out. Okay. Gyms. Okay. All of a sudden gyms are closed within two days. Everybody's doing uh, private live classes. Oh, pay $10 and you get a private session. Hey, that's been done. It's been done pre COVID. Those people like, uh, I, I know one of the girls at design shop, she always uses the app. Hell, I forgot what it's called. Which app? The app? Kira, Kaylee, Kaylee. She's a fitness oh, trainer. Um, Kayla. Kayla. Kayla, what's her last name? I don't know. She's. Kayla, what kind of app is it? Yeah. But like, she already built that demographic in that market. She did it. Like, you got to think outside the box. I'm going to tell you again what thinking outside the box is. Okay. Here's a perfect example. There's a CrossFit gym here in near where I live, and because of COVID-19, they closed. They closed because it's CrossFit. Everything, but he touches everything. Everything is 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 
is um, is is they have to close. Gyms have to close in our area. We're I, people are watching all over the world, but like um, this is this is um, uh, in Montreal. They closed all the gyms. Okay, so what ended up happening is I'm sitting outside my balcony and I see people running around the block of my house, and I'm like. It's weird, like in group running, it's kind of strange. I walk around the corner of my street because it's kind of a bit of a cul-de-sac. And sure enough, there's people all spread out on the street doing fitness classes. They start, like, like they're doing their CrossFit outside, all two meters apart. And I was like, these people did not sit on their hands complaining about the government shutting everything down. They were like, screw this. We're doing classes outside in the middle of the street. Did yeah. they get a permit? For sure not. But who cares? Sometimes you got to just do what you have to do, right? Like... Like you, this is a perfect example of a company that pivoted. Now, the beauty about being able to come up with a strategy that pivots for your business is that when things get better, you've now diversified your business. You're generating money in different ways. And I think it's very important for people to understand that. Take a step back. How much do you need to make? And what are things that you can do to set yourself apart and make yourself different? Don't just do the common thing and say, oh, well, there's apps out there for fitness. So all of a sudden now I'm going to do a fitness app. Like that's, you know, that's just not how it's going to work. And one thing that's very, very important too, when people understand or are trying to pivot, the pivoting or the majority of it that's been happening has all been digital. Okay. Right. Uh, retail stores pushing online stores or building online stores. Um, restaurants doing takeout or trying to promote more stuff through the internet. And it just goes on and on and on. It's all digital stuff. Just creating an online store or an app or doesn't mean it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Yep. You need a you need a, a marketing strategy for that. You you need to you need to you need to create a base for something like that. And so what I want to also I want everybody else to understand is that if you pivot your business and all of a sudden now straightforward you have a retail store and and now you 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 um, you do an online store. Do you think you're just going to get magical sales from the boom? No. No. But where do you start, Joe? Like as a small business, like where do you start? Well, it all it really depends on what the business is. I mean, the the first thing that they have to do is understand what they need to make to survive. Okay. So you need to have an end goal because too many times people underestimate something because they don't know what they're trying to get from it. Right. So if it's increasing your sales 10 or 20 or 30 percent, you know the dollar amount you need to bring in. And then you have to try to create a strategy or an idea that helps you achieve that. It could be selling new items. It could be upselling. It could be house delivery. It could be takeout. It could be it could it could be. I mean, it really could be anything. It's just a matter of changing the way you do stuff. Um, And it's it's hard. It's hard for somebody who's been in business for 25 years or 30 years been successful, been making good money, traveling, enjoying life. They've paid their dues already at the beginning. And now all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, I'm about to lose everything. What do I do? And so it's, you got to just take the step back and you got to really take a calm assessment of everything and understand that if you know your numbers and you can backtrack, then you can start creating strategies around it. Because the reality is, is that it's not just a matter of, Let's say you want to acquire new clients or you want to upsell something. Well, you got to create the product. You got to create the take home box. You got to you got to create the app. You got to create the website. And then on top of that, you got to market it. So it's like you're already tight on money and now you're trying to reinvest more. Like it's it's just brutal timing with everything. Yeah. So you know, I, I I wanted this, I want this to be kind of a positive thing. Um, but you have to pivot. You want you know companies that didn't pivot? Blockbuster didn't pivot. That's fair. Okay. Blockbuster technology came along and they didn't pivot. Blockbuster could have bought Netflix way before they could have developed their own platform way before. I mean, you two are much younger than you are younger than me, but you remember like the blockbuster awards? No, I don't. You know? they, 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 people would win like a big popcorn. Yeah. I remember going into blockbuster on like a weekly basis to take out a couple movie DVDs and we'd walk back home and we, that would be our sun, Saturday night. And it was like a huge thing for us, but they never went digital and then look at them now. They're right. Remember travel agencies. Oh yeah. Yeah. Those were like the, the, that was like the thing back in the day. You want to travel, you go, and you know, like you go and they opened their little book. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Well, this is a nice resort. And they like, it, that's all done. 
And so it's, it's, it's very, very important that people understand that this is not just a COVID-19 thing. It's a time thing. Technology now is the new, is, is if your business is not integrated in a technology sense, you're suffering. If you're a restaurant, and I hear this all the time, this is the problem, okay? Here's a perfect example of restaurants that haven't pivoted properly. Panic, what do we do? They didn't prep anything. They didn't have social media pages. They didn't market properly. They didn't have proper websites. What do we do now? Let's go on Uber, Uber Eats, because it's the only way we can make money. Uber takes 30% of your revenue. Yeah. You're working like a dog for nothing. But they're doing it because they're just trying to rotate the stock. So now it's you're in survival mode, right? You didn't need that. So it's 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 this sort of vicious cycle that ends up being created if you don't prep properly. So you know, there's a million ways to market your business and build your business and promote your business, but you have to be able to pivot, you know? Yeah. I'm curious to hear your thoughts, Joe, on uh, commercial real estate, because I know, well, we were in old Montreal and it was very, very, very costly. And I, I'm just curious to hear the sort of direction as to where we're headed with commercial real estate. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you. Um, and this is an opinion based thing. It's, it's not there's I'm not basing this on on factual stuff. I think commercial real estate and the market is going to take the biggest hammering that it's ever seen. And I'm going to tell you why there's two. When I think about commercial, I think two, two types of real commercial real estate. There's the retail and then there's the office space. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start with retail for a second. Yeah. When we talk about retail and, and I used to work in a mall, like, like most of us, probably when I was much younger, the cost that malls charge for rent is astronomical. They have literally gouged businesses, to the point where their margins are so small, it is impossible for them to almost make profit. It's always a survival thing. You have huge companies that are closing their doors because they can't afford the rent. It's, it's insane what they have been charging. So the barrier of entry in these places is too high. So now these retail commercial real estate, like malls, have a big dilemma. They can do one thing, they can lower their rent costs which potentially will bring in more stores, okay? Or two, they leave their malls half empty. But that still doesn't take into account, how do you get people into the goddamn malls? Because people are not shopping anymore. So how can you charge somebody fifteen dollars or $20,000 for a shoebox size store? Like there's stores out there that sell tea and they sell candy and they sell, they sell little knickknacks and razor blades and how do you, how, how much volume do you have to sell to just cover the rent cost? Then Literally. you have a of good soul. Yeah. Then you have on top of it staff. It's crazy. There, there's no margin. The malls in the you know, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, they were really popular. They were generating so much money for businesses. Yeah. So, you know, the malls, I, I guess they were just like, raise the prices. They're making more, we're going to make more. But now there's, there's a big issue. But that's not where the biggest issue is. The biggest issue is in going to be in the office spaces. So us, tons of other businesses out there, we were forced by COVID-19 to do this, run our business digitally. I'm telling you, and I'm telling you 100% honestly, if you asked me seven months ago, oh, let's, let's, let's run design shop um, virtually. My answer would be like, yeah, if we do that, then people are not going to work and no one's going to like that. That's my opinion. That was the opinion of every other big, you know, I'm, I'm not a big CEO, but like ever like big companies, that was always the opinion. Now we're running the business. We're more efficient. We're more cost effective. People are happier. There's less risk mm. and we're saving money. Oh, okay. So now all these things are lining up and I'm like, well, wait a second. Maybe the office is not as, ne as, as necessary or a smaller, more communal space for people to hybrid go in like once in a while when they want. Another thing with this remote type of infrastructure is that it allows people freedom. Like, and I've said this to you guys in, in the design shop team before. If Taylor right now was sitting in Bali, I couldn't care less. Yeah, as long as we have a good Wi-Fi connection, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, if it was a white, so because of that, what like 
you you have more freedom in life. Yeah. Now, on top of that, in business, people copy each other. We're a copycat industry, okay? So Google, Shopify, Twitter, Salesforce, I believe Squarespace, they are all now saying that the majority of their Facebook, the majority of their workforce will be working permanently from home. So the industry leaders in digital are saying that. I know bank head offices are now telling people to essentially get comfortable with um, working from home because you can't fit more than two people in an elevator. Yeah. Those of you that have gone to these big office buildings at eight, nine o'clock in the morning, they cram you in like sardines. So you can't even get to your office floor. And no office wants to put their employees at risk of contracting COVID-19 and spreading throughout the office. That's true. But that's still not the biggest problem. I'm going to tell you what the biggest problem is, in my opinion. <laughs> it's that everyone now in all industries in the office world has gotten comfortable working from home. Yep. They love it. So what's going to happen? The companies that say, no, I want my employees to come back to the office in October or November. Those employees are going to be like, hmm, <laughs> I really like working from home. So let me find a company where I can work from home. Yeah. It's now not just a matter of who's going to open up and who's not going to open up. The reality is, is that people want to work from home. So your talented staff that you acquire, that you train, if you want to open up your office again and not give them this option, they're gone. They're okay. going to find a place where they can work remotely. You know what? That leads into a good question we actually have from somebody who's watching on YouTube, and I'm going to show it right here. What do you say to businesses that just want to ignore COVID-19 altogether and go back to doing uh, their businesses as they once were? So it relates to what you were just saying, but uh, I'd like to get like an overall answer from you as well. Sure. I mean, well, look, at the end of the day, ignoring something doesn't make it go away. Yeah. Right? Like it's, it's you, you can pretend that it didn't happen. You can pretend, and I'm not sure where this question is coming from, if it's, it's from the States or Canada, but you can't pretend that COVID-19 is not a thing and you can't pretend that these changes in the industry haven't um, caused change and, and done things differently. So if you don't adapt to the situation, your business is gonna get buried. And if you think now, I just want everyone to understand, Everybody's paranoid now. So when COVID-20 or 21 or whatever the hell next disease comes up, everyone's going to be freaking out. Don't pretend something is not there. Be a response to it. And there's going to be companies out there, I'm telling you, that are going to be 10 times more successful now than they were before. And there's going to be companies that are going to disappear. But don't, don't pretend it doesn't exist. Adjust. Be aware. You know? Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm curious. So you kind of touched on it. Um, but when it comes to commercial real estate, you know how when you're looking for a job, um, you know, you're you're looking for a job and you want to look for as many perks as possible. Uh, most of them used to be like a cool office space, open concept, um, you know, starter vibes, as they say, free gelato, this and that. Uh, and then obviously uh, working from home is always an added perk. But I'm curious to see like what obviously working from home is going to be a perk now when you're looking for a job. But do you see anything else becoming something that people are going to be looking for when looking for a job? Yeah, I, I think and it really depends on who's looking for the job. Right. Um, I think that the working from home thing and the flexibility is a huge component, mm. it's a really huge component because people spend a lot of time traveling to and from work. OK. Yeah. And I think that having a bit of a hybrid where people have a place that they can go. Some people want to go to work and some of us don't want to, always want to be at home. I think that's going to really be the solution for it as a really valuable perk. But at the end of the day, what's very, very important to understand is that companies will have to now put more effort into different types of team building activities. Because as much as I talk to Chinsia and Taylor and everybody else on the team every day, we're still not in contact with each other. So like I think tomorrow we're doing a picnic. Like, yep. <laughs> but like little things like this are going to be things that companies are going to have to put more attention, in. but they're going to be saving money on the office side. And because of that, that should be reinvested into the team's well-being and different components of stuff. And, and I really think that's what businesses are going to have to do. The whole 
open concept, you know, team building thing. And I, I want to, I want to, I want to tell you something. There's an office, one of our clients, um, I won't give their name, but they're, they're, a, they're, a, they're a huge multi-billion dollar company. Their offices are the nicest offices I have ever seen. And I told, I remember someone on the team was like, oh, I want to go because they're not in Montreal. Uh, they're like, oh, we want to go visit their office. And I was like, hell no, you're going to see that place. And then you come back to our place and you're like, this is shit. <laughs> and I, we had nice offices. Like our offices were nice, you know? Yeah, for sure. It was nice, <laughs> but like not to this. This is like, looks like, like a Tesla headquarters. Okay? Oh my God. And, and we recently spoke to somebody um, from, from their house that, because again, they're also working remotely now. And uh, from the appearance of it, it looked like she was like working in a small apartment or like, like you know, like a regular, nothing crazy. And um, I was like, oh, how is it to work from home? My assumption was they, they had a free gym, cafeteria, food, freaking marble. It was just stunning. My, and it was like five, six floors. My opinion was she was going to be like, I can't wait to go back to work. She was like, I really hope they continue. Like they let us work from home. <laughs> They're like, I really hope the management and the CEOs like, and I was like, oh, okay, nothing we're going to do is going to be able to compete with this working from home thing. So yeah. it doesn't matter what you do to the office. Time is the most valuable thing people have. Yep. And if you're saving them time, you're giving them added value. So that was kind of something that put in my perspective. I was like, oh, there's nothing I'm going to be able to add to this office that's going to. I agree. I think that the balance, like you said, is going to be uh, crucial, though, because obviously now we're everyone loves it because it's all new. But uh, but down the road, I feel like eventually people are going to start wanting to have like still mostly work from home. But like you said, still have a, a space to go to if they need to, like, get out of their personal space, you know, so 100%. or escape their kids. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But how does a business make sure their employees have like a productive workspace? For example, like I work from my kitchen table and I love it, but some people don't like that. Yeah, I, 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 and I, that's a good question because I think that's this is something that we all fell into. It was just like everybody go work from home, like right, Taylor. Like Monday we're at the office and Tuesday everyone was at home, and I was yeah, lost my Saturday. Um, and that was like March. So um, I think that businesses, including us, we're going to have to start developing standards of every. Does everyone have a good work environment? Like. If you don't have a good chair or a good desk, Taylor, then we're gonna have to provide you that. You know, if Chinsi, if, if your screens are no good or you have wrist problems, like we're gonna have to provide you that. I know that, uh, I, again, I won't name the company, but one of the big financial institutions told all their employees, they gave them each a budget of, I think it was like a couple hundred dollars to get whatever they need for home. To Google make that home. too, I think. I think so too. Yeah. 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 Uh, but, but like, we're going to have to implement something like that too. People have been pretty vocal with me, like on the team, if they need something, they just tell me and I order it for them and, and I get it to their house. But that's what we're going to have to, we're going to have to make sure that people are comfortable in, in their homes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and yeah, that's, that's definitely going to be a thing for sure. Awesome. I actually have a question that's come, comes from somebody else as well. Yeah. Um, many business and it's a bit more political. So um, feel free to be as open as you'd like to be Joe. Um, many businesses, actually I'll type it out, there we go. Many businesses have avoided getting involved in politics, but can a business afford to not be political in 2020? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, uh, uh, I, like I, I try not to touch too much on politics because everybody has their opinion on why they wanna vote for whoever they wanna vote for. But um, in uh, Canada, we, we have a party that's called the NDP party, which we would say would be a far left, the right party, right? Left or right? I would be confused. I always forget. Okay, they're very, it's, it's very the opposite of Donald Trump. Okay, so it's completely on that. Okay. And I used to be a huge fan of that party. Huge, like big, big time uh, fan of the party. I liked what they stood for. I was a business owner. Even though they were a lot more for the people, less for businesses, I still really liked what they stood for. And then, this is going back maybe five, ten years ago. There was a um, there was a, a strike from our Post Canada, which is like a U.S. Postal Service. Okay, and as a small business owner, I was like, I'm not getting checks, I'm not getting payments. My clients are sending money, and I'm not receiving it. And I got payroll and rent due, and I started to panic. And what happened is that the, the, the government or the conservative government that was in power 
did a forced back to work order for the post Canada workers. They were asking for more money, the typical stuff. And the NDP party had pretty much created this infrastructure where they froze the ability for the government to force the workers to go back. And this lasted weeks and weeks and weeks. And what ended up happening is that this showed something to me is that I supported a political party that is going to support a smaller group of employees, but not look at the bigger picture of business. And it, it like, when I tell you I was panicking, I didn't sleep for weeks. Mm. And I had checks and payments jammed up everywhere. And it was very, very scary. And they were just, they were doing this almost as a show to say, look, we're supporting the people and, you know, they want more money and the government should give them. And it was, it was, it was a disaster. And that showed to me that as a business owner, I have to be careful on who I support, because if it's too much on one side, it's not good. And if it's too much on the other side, it's not good. It's really got to be there in the middle. But at the end of the day, one of the most important things to know is that you need a government that is going to support small and mid-sized businesses. Yeah. You have to. If you don't have a government that supports that, there's, the economy is going to be in, in shams, in shambles. Great. How about controversy? <laughs> Things mm -hmm. going on. How about controversy? Do you think that they should get on, get involved on that level or still? What do you mean? Oh, like a company standing up to Donald Trump or something? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Or Such like harassment or... Black lives, like even positive controversy, just like Black Lives Matter or any sort of thing that's going on, on like social movements going on, do you think that they should get involved or? Yeah, I think to some extent, but but not to get involved because it's the cool thing to do. Yeah. Right? Like if if a company, a company is sincere about the Me Too movement or the Black Lives Matter movement, um, then it's something that should have already been ingrained in their, in their, mm -hmm system to begin with like i saw this video it's not really a company but i don't know if you saw like it was like five or like six or seven actors the guy from um what the hell was it uh the guy from uh what's that that show with the meth people he was creating meth oh breaking bad breaking bad so the the, the younger guy yeah in there and he was in that video and it was like a bunch of actors saying it was in black and white and was all epic and they were like you know we're not going to let this happen again. It was so fake and so cheesy. I was embarrassed for them that they did it. And it's not a, a matter of just putting a filter on an image and saying, you know, it's going to be okay. And, and Me Too movement and we support Black Lives Matter and we do this. It's like, what in your company have you done to support mm -hmm. this type of thing? So Absolutely. I think it's okay for companies to get involved with it, but get involved with it. Like, yeah. don't the right just jump on the bandwagon. No, don't jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. And Good be like, point. oh, yeah, us too, we care. Like, yeah. Yeah. Good point. Tinsia, I think we have a few questions. We do. We have a question. I'm going to, here you go. So uh, this person says, hi, Emily. Um, we, they have diverted all of their trade event dollars over to digital efforts. Uh, do you think trade events will return or will they become old news because everyone has figured out a better way, better ways to use their budget? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I think trade shows are really going to suffer. Um, and for a couple of reasons. Just like commercial real estate, trade shows cost a fortune, a fortune. We're talking three meter by three meter booths costing $10,000, $15,000. I've been to trade shows where companies would rent carpets and it would cost tens of thousands of dollars. On top of it, trade shows, generally you have to move a large portion of your team to these trade shows. So now you're paying for flights, hotel, dinners. You're paying for... Um, you're paying for, uh, I already said accommodations, then you're paying for the trade show. And that costs so much money, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's not a, a reality of does the trade show work or not? For sure, there's value in going to trade shows, but does it meet the value of doing things digitally? I, I don't think so. And yeah, I think that what this is showing too is when people say, hey, I'm gonna meet you at this trade show or XYZ trade show, a lot of times too, it's just companies and people, they just like traveling on the company's dollar. And like, I can have a meeting with you like this. Like, I don't need to go meet you at a trade show. Um, so I, I think that trade shows are gonna suffer like crazy. Never mind the fact that everybody's paranoid now Yeah. with COVID, right? So yeah. it, it all comes down to dollars and cents, especially for the larger companies. When we're talking about trade shows, 
I, I don't think, to be honest with you, they're going to come back anytime soon. I think there's going to be, again, a hybrid. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff like this that's going to happen, a lot of event-driven, like digital event-driven stuff. And I think that the trade shows that will emerge from this are the necessity trade shows, are the ones that are like, um, you have to be on the ground to see something. Like mm -hmm. it, 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 it doesn't, like, I mean, I've been to these trade shows. I've, I've been to a lot of them in different industries. What is it? You smile at people, you say hi, you show that you're there. Then you go to after parties. You get a lot of cards. Yeah, you, you get a lot of cards. But even that, even at trade shows, like you can't just go around at a trade show and be like, hey, how's it going? My name's Joe, here's my business card. Like you're gonna look like like a monkey, right? Like you, you already know the people that are there for the most part. So. In my opinion, it really it's going to depend on the industry, but I think it's it's going to change. I think it's going to change big time. Do you mm -hmm. think that trade shows would be well off to pivot and go digital as well? For sure, for sure, one hundred percent. If if that's going to be the biggest diversion of funds, is going to be through digital. I think the problem is is that a lot of people don't understand the value of digital and the exposure that you can get for the amount of money that you spend. Um, and I think once companies start to catch on that, and again, this is forcing them to push the envelope digitally, I think the majority of the ad spend dollars um, and advertising dollars are going to go to the digital digital side, for sure. Yeah. I have another question actually from a viewer, so I'm going to jump right onto that one. Uh, how could people with really small businesses, so businesses based out of their home, benefit from digital marketing? This is a really general question, but it's someone who has like a soap company. <laughs> okay. Like you're going to benefit the most from digital marketing, to be honest with you, because, because what it is, it's your storefront. Like you, you, whatever you do in an online presence, that's what you are as a business. Now, especially when you're a small business, the beauty of going, of having a digital presence is that I always tell everybody perception is reality in life. Okay. That's, not just with digital marketing, it's with anything, right? If, if you meet somebody and you perceive them as a nice person, they could not be a nice person, but that's your perception of them. You have the ability online to be the company that you want to be. So you don't have to be the home business that's doing soap. You can be the soap business that specializes in specialty soaps that offers quality stuff. So you have a huge opportunity to present yourself in a certain way. The other thing when you're talking about um, digital marketing, the beauty of it is, is as a small business, call a radio station and tell them, ask them how much it's going to cost to advertise on their platform. They're going to be like thousands and thousands of dollars are going to be um, uh, for a couple of radio ads. With digital, you can put $50 in. You can put $100 in. You don't need a million orders to be successful. You just want, you know, you want to get the ball rolling. Um, I have a really close friend of mine, one of, one of my best friends. She sells... Uh, wreaths like custom wreaths you should give her a shout out yeah elite wreaths i think elite I, I really hope that's what it's called <laughs> i'm gonna uh, look it up for you just in case yeah her name's Catherine. she makes beautiful wreaths i actually i have one or two of them i think at my house and and um you know she's creates great stuff and it's really through her family and friends from what i see that are sharing it and then people see it and, and the word of mouth grows and she's i don't believe she's putting actually any money into digital marketing but just going out there and the presence of it and leveraging her friends and her family, it's a really, really great way to start a business. Um, and, and I think that that's the beauty of it. Just a little bit of ad spend if you need, present yourself in a professional way. And I think there's, there's a real opportunity there. Awesome. That's cool. Okay. So in a second, will I fix this? So um, actually, I have a question from me because I, I feel like this is a, it's a more of a general question. It's more, how do you think the sports industry can leverage their organizations online? Because I know uh, most of us really look forward to that time of year where a certain sports going to be online. But uh, in Montreal, the Bell Center makes so much money selling seats, but those seats are so close together. And it's I don't think there's ever going to be a reality that anybody else feels comfortable sitting in an arena that's so packed and everyone's so sweaty. Yeah, 100% <laughs> for sure. Um, before I say that, do you guys hear a background of like a lawnmower? No, no I think it's for just- For sure my neighbor's <laughs> cutting the lawn. <laughs> oh, of course. And honestly, um, it just started raining here, like okay. out of nowhere. Perfect. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the sports industry has a lot of work to do. Um, here's, here's the issue again with the sports industry. 
is they've created an infrastructure of businesses that are worth and teams that are worth billions of dollars because again, and in all honesty, there's a lot of gouging, like price of tickets for football and hockey and basketball, they cost a fortune. So what happens when things cost a fortune? The Players Association wants a lot of money too. And it's this vicious cycle of, of like Patrick Mahomes, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm happy that he received it. He just got a $500 million contract, $500 million. Like that's crazy, but someone's got to pay for that. So how do you leverage things online? Well, I can tell you this, the UFC has already started putting on fights for a while and they've been doing a great job. Okay, so there's no fans in the audience, but they have their pay-per-view deals. They have, they have uh, sponsorship deals. So they're losing on attendance, but they're gaining on pay-per-view money and some of their sponsors. I don't know what, I don't have an answer on what they're gonna do digitally to pay Patrick Mahomes $500 million, to be honest with you. I don't know what the it's hell. over 10 years though, right? But still. Over, yeah. Still, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say no to it. Um, <laughs> it was over twenty years. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, think, I think the biggest thing is is that sports are going to have to really not sit on the fact that they were just popular. They're going to have to really get fans engaged and and uh, intertwined with them, where there's a level of attachment. Again, because. Going there to the arena, there's that level of connection, that attachment. People are into the sports. At home, you don't have that same thing. Exactly. So really have to, yeah. They're really going to have to develop a digital infrastructure, whether it's how they show the games or, or how they, they you know, advertise the stuff that really makes people feel still connected with the games. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a really tough question because it depends on the sport. But, yeah, they, got, they have some work to do for sure. Yeah. and But it's like that for most things, right? Like, everybody is talking about how we're all at home and it's very it's a lot more impersonal now like when i talk to you on camera like i i still feel as if i'm connecting to you but you lose a bit of the in-personness do you feel as if like it's going to be like that even for other businesses like you won't be able to you'll lose the impersonalness for most things or i mean yes and no i i, I mean Yes and no. I mean, like, yes, in the sense that I'm not seeing you physically, but at the end of the day, I think that real people will come out properly on the internet, hopefully. I mean, that's why we wanted to do the, this podcast in this format, because I felt the other ones that I did, I didn't really come out very... Like, Yourself? I, yeah, I felt like, I don't know, I just, I felt like I looked strange in it. So um, I, I think businesses will find better ways to integrate technology where people get a certain level of comfort. And I'm going to tell you something. I think that it's very, very important that companies use this type of approach to get their message out there because everything right now is like texting and, and images. And, but like this, if anything, this is a better way. This is more, I'm getting, I'm going to get more exposure this way than, than having face-to-face -face meetings, right? Like my last couple of videos that I did have five, six, 7,000 views. Like I, I'm never going to see that many people. In yeah, definitely more effective. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have another question from a viewer. How can nonprofit organizations benefit from digital marketing during the pandemic? That's a great question. Um, if anything, probably more than, than before. So not-for-profits, it's imperative that you guys get your message out to your right audience, okay? One of the biggest issues is people will create content that nobody sees. As a not-for-profit, you're an organization that has a, a need for something, like you, you're offering something to somebody. Could be a sports thing, could be an educational thing, could be a, a, a thing that helps women, helps indigenous groups, whatever it is, you have to first understand who are the people that generally contribute to the non-for-profit, and then you need to make sure that you have messaging that's targeting those people. The good news, is that when you're dealing with digital marketing, you have demographic targeting. So I, I give you just like a, a straight up example. Let's say for example, um, you're a not-for-profit that supports animals, okay? Like it's, I don't know, that's so generic, but like <laughs> dogs, cats, cats is perfect. <laughs> yeah, cats are, are like into cats. Um, but if, if you have a, a foundation or something or a non-for-profit that essentially is helping cats, well, you know what? You can target a certain gender age demographic and like 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 general likes and interest through these platforms. So I can say, I want people that are really interested in cats, that are interested in animals, 
and then boom, I target them. On top of it, you have digital platforms like GoFundMe, Facebook has place like has a platform where you can donate directly onto Facebook that people get to get involved. Like I don't know if you've seen, but um, on right before your birthday, you get a message from Facebook, and it says, "Oh, your birthday's coming up. Support one of your favorite charities or non for profit." Yeah. And so what happens is someone's like, oh yeah, this. So it says, hey, it's my birthday coming up. Instead of sending me gifts, please donate money to this charity. I have a hundred dollar goal. Like what a perfect way to get people to get involved in your organization. Mm -hmm. um, you as if uh, Facebook, you know, Facebook has new Facebook checkouts coming out soon in Canada, but already live in, U in the US. Do you mm -hmm. think nonprofits would benefit that or is it just gonna be businesses? For sure they can benefit it, right? It, they can benefit it specifically if there's a way and incentive. So there's the donation aspect of a, of a non-for-profit, but there also may be something where somebody can purchase. Like, I don't know if you guys remember like, uh, PB, you know, PBS, the station? Yeah. Back in the day, they used to have their telethon. And there's all these people on their, on their telephones, and they'd be like, yeah. if you made $60, like you get this owl tutu. And then you get this like DVD set. And I remember each time my mom, like, oh, could we donate? And she was like, Psh, we're not donating anybody. <laughs> yes. But but it's the perfect example of if there's if there's a purchase incentive, then yeah, a checkout thing would be would be a great way to do it. Yeah. I also want to remind anybody that is running or is currently marketing for a nonprofit that Google has a really good ad grant mm -hmm. platform on Google nonprofits that they should definitely apply to. And it would give them a lot of money on Google ads. So yeah. that would be super, yeah. That's yeah. a great point. I think it, I think it's even like ten thousand dollars. Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of money, and honestly, like you, you'd be reaching people who would never know about your organization because everybody Google's. Google is such a has such a wide audience. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, we have another question. Yay! Um, <laughs> what do you think are the digital marketing trends that are going to really take off after COVID? Yeah, it's it's really going to be. Um, and it's, it was even pre-COVID that it started, it's going to be really putting your clients in a life cycle, in a digital marketing ecosystem. And, and what I'm trying to, what I, what I want to explain is that Coca-Cola and McDonald's run ads all the time. They don't need to. I mean, you know who Coca-Cola is <laughs> and you know who McDonald's is. Mm -hmm. But they always want to be in people's faces, promoting their brand and their products. In the past, without digital marketing, we didn't have that opportunity because it was too expensive. You can't just be putting ads in a paper if you're a local business, right? It's just, it would cost too much money or having commercials or radio shows. It's too expensive unless you're a global company. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a billion dollar company or the company that is selling soap from their house, you can create a digital marketing ecosystem where your client base is always updated with banners and videos and messages. So you're always staying in your face. You're always staying in their face. And the more you stay in their face, the more comfortable they are with your brand, the more comfortable they are going to be with your products or services, and the more the higher the likelihood that they will convert at some point. So really creating that micro digital ecosystem for your business is, is the most important thing that you can do for sure. Agreed. Yeah. At, at what level do you think it's more profitable for a business rather than doing it yourself to, to give the work to an agency? Like, where's the line between like, hey, I'm going to just run a few ads myself and I need more professional help? That's a good question. That's a hard question. To be honest with you, those of you that are starting small businesses, I really feel it's super important that you learn as much as you can about digital marketing before you go to an agency, before you even call us, understand what's out there. And even with our current client base now, everything that we're doing is we're trying to set up workshops and conferences to educate our clients on what digital marketing is. Because the more you know about it, the more you're gonna be able to leverage things in a way that's gonna help your business. Like the person that asked the question about the soap business, I can talk to you about digital marketing from now till the cows come home, but like that person knows who her client base is. That person knows who she can grow her business to. And the more she understands about what the possibilities are, she can start some of it on her own. I think where what is important is just making sure that you have a, a, a proper designer that's, you know, designing quality stuff. You don't want it to look like crap. 
Um, but but I think that most companies or at least startups should should get the education on, on their own um, to really you know learn that way. Um, you know, at the same time, it's very important to understand whether it's an online store, whether it's a digital marketing campaign. Um, you know, your first place, well, like the term your first place is is your home. Okay. Your second place is generally your workplace. Now that's sort of combined. And they would say, you know, the, the term your third place was like a, a Starbucks. You know, you walk into a Starbucks anywhere in the world and you just feel comfortable. You're like, yeah. oh, I get it. The lights, the chairs, you're, you're good, right? doesn't matter if you're in London or you're in Chicago or you're in Montreal, you get it when you walk into a Starbucks. My opinion, there's a fourth place and that's your digital world, okay? I, I think that's me that made that up. I think I coined that fourth place. Of course. I don't know. I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure no one's ever said it. Maybe. Um, so what ends up happening is that if you walk into a store or a restaurant and it seems off, like it doesn't seem well put together, like you have chairs that don't match and you have like random pictures on the wall and like wires hanging, you don't feel comfortable, right? So it's the same thing digitally. If your messaging and your branding and the way you're getting it out there is disjointed, and like randomly put together and all over the place, you're not going to get that level of comfort from people. So that's the most important thing to do. I have an interesting, I have a question and it's going to be really just your opinion and sure. I'm curious to hear it because I'm very interested by it. So bringing it back to the commercial real estate. So you know how like big cities like Chicago, Montreal, Vancouver, we all have these super high rises, like a billion of them and, you know, now they won't be getting used for uh, businesses to rent out their for their companies and stuff. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on what you think the possible uh, opportunities are to in order to use these uh, buildings that won't be used, obviously, as much as they used to be. Is there like cool opportunities that we can foresee? Maybe not so much in the business world, but maybe as a social that's that's a that's a great question, right? That that's that's a good question. It's a tough one. Um, I do believe that companies like WeWork, um, as much as they're in the, I think they're in the shit right now with their yeah, stuff. they are the yeah. whole thing. I believe that concept, the co-working space, working spaces, um, the flexibility. I think those types of businesses are going to flourish. I think you're going to see more and more larger companies utilizing those types of places. Yeah, like us. Um, and then when we're talking about you know a hundred other extra floors, that's that's a very tough question. I I, I think that you know, I don't there's, know. There's a I, lot of opportunity there. I'm curious to see if like the city will take it over and turn these things into communal spaces, or you know, because the the space still needs to be, you know, still yeah. it's not paid off. A lot of them are not paid off. You need to pay for this stuff. So how are they going to pay it off? I'm wondering if they would outsource to. It's 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 going to take a lot of creativity. I know malls were changing their dynamic, where instead of places for just shopping, they were changing their concept to being more um, of a hangout. Uh, uh, yeah, of, of a place to go yeah. for fun. So you'd notice Ooh. like uh, better food courts. You'd notice like escape game room stuff and like activity centers. And you're noticing malls trying to evolve this way as being a more of a place for entertainment than just shopping. You know, and I think that's be a lot of people in one space. So for COVID, which is, again another issue, right? Yeah, um, it, it's 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 going to be it's going to be a rough go. I think for commercial real estate, to be honest with you, um, yeah. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a long battle. I think it's going to be a rough go. I think a lot of these companies have done things in a certain way for a very long time and been very successful. A lot of these buildings are are big corporate owned buildings down from generation to generation. And, and they're really going to have to pivot and shift and, and they're going to have to adjust their prices. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to have to lower the prices where it becomes affordable again. Yeah. Oh, I have a good question and it touches on um, B2B. So um, it's going back to nonprofits again, but it can relate to other B2B type companies. Uh, how can uh, nonprofit organizations operating in the environmental sector use digital marketing to help acquire new corporate members, especially in the COVID economy where business businesses often have to cut their costs? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Now, when we're talking about B2B, you're still talking about people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, one of the things is that when you're talking about people, you have to show them value in being part of the organization, right? And it doesn't have to be a monetary value, but it has to be a value of if we give money to this company, there's there's a level of attachment, there's a, there's a synergy, there's something that's there. You know, one thing for me that's very important is that it's not just about like giving money to charities or non-for-profits, it's also about being involved. And I think that if you're able to show businesses how their involvement is something that they can leverage for their image and their brand, I think that's where you're going to find a really good synergy. Um, and it's a weird thing because you don't want like a good deed of like giving money to be flipped to make profit. But at the end of the day, if you're um, a company that is doing something for the environment and I'm a company that is very pro-environment because of my product or my service or, or whatever I'm offering, well, then me being involved with you solidifies my brand. So I think the, the really the objective here is to find the companies or the individuals that environment is already part of their corporate culture. It's already yes. important to them. And then you leverage that sort of going forward and saying like, look, people that are involved with us, you can use our logo. You're going to be a pro um, partner. We're going to do videos together. Like this type of stuff is where I think you're really going to see the most value. And us as younger investors, we look more towards uh, looking for environmentally friendly, like ESG, like we were talking about yeah. the other day, you and I, um, with one of our clients, we look towards uh, that type of investment. We're not looking just to invest in the older generation businesses that don't care if there's enough women on the board or- Yeah. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. People nowadays are, are, are trying to get more educated on, on what they do and where they put their money. Um, but at the same time, business is business. We, we always need to make sure that people understand that the objective of it is to make profit. And if you're able to show a synergy in place that highlights the company culture with your not-for-profit, you're going to have a beautiful marriage there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Did we uh, want to cover anything else before... Wrapping up, wrapping up this session. Um, I just wanted to make sure to shout out Elite Reads. <laughs> Mel sent me the, the posting on Facebook. You guys should check them out. The wreaths are beautiful and they have a really cute pride one for Pride Month this Ooh. month. <laughs> so um, we're taking a few more questions if anybody has any. If not, um, yeah, I think that's that's it for this one. We're close to the hour mark, so we've actually spoke a lot. <laughs> yeah, it went, it went pretty good. I like yeah. it. it. Like my my hope in this, like I was saying from the beginning, is for us to just come out like as 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 real as possible, um, because I think we are, you know, we're real people. Um, yeah. And 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 uh, I'm like I'm not a motivational speaker. Like I'm not I'm not somebody that's like you can you can do it and you can, you know, but. Hopefully, the experience in business that we've we've garnered over the past couple of years, uh, even in my case, oh, you know, well over a decade. You know, I want everyone that listens to learn from my mistakes, learn from the the, the bad decisions I've made, um, and and really try to take certain pieces that potentially could help them in their businesses or their future businesses and and, and stuff like that. I think that we're in a very unique time period right now. Um, it's going to be you know, twenty twenty is going to be the year that nobody is ever going to forget it. but at the same time you know if i can say one thing and i and i don't i don't mean for this to, to be like a motivational thing but don't be the person that is saying oh because of covid this and because of covid that and this screwed me and the government screwed me and now you have to always wear face masks and we're screwed and don't be that person yeah pivot be okay. positive and look at where the 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 strengths are going to come from this thing i look at where your business is going to get stronger um, look at where the you know costs are going to be cut. Look at where um, your employees have the potential to be happier. Uh, look at the potential of potentially becoming a global company when before you were more of a local company. Mm -hmm. There's so much opportunity that's going to rise from this. It's just a matter of the ones that pivot, the ones that are forward thinking are the ones that are going to succeed. And the ones that are just sitting on their hands complaining about everything are the ones that are going to struggle the most. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, so we're going to be taking a questions another time we're going to be doing this video again i think um i'm just going to put below on where you can leave your questions if you have any there you go. at joseph azam official 
this is a page on Facebook, but you can also leave questions and comments on YouTube as well. And we'll get back to you guys like when we do another video. So I had a good time with you guys. I hope oh, that uh, everybody watching that too, and then you guys did as well. Awesome. It was really nice chatting, guys. Bye. Bye, everyone.